if you think Romans 7 is difficult, I just say, don't try Romans 9 through 11 unless you're really ready to dig in. One of the interesting things about Romans is that Paul is largely addressing Gentiles, and he says this, for example, in Romans 11, 1 and following, that he's talking to the Gentile Christians mainly in Rome, and he's schooling them, okay? But here's the problem. If you look at Romans in general, in Romans 9 through 11, we have about 45 or more partial, whole, citations, allusions, echoes of the Old Testament. This particular segment is scripture rich. Why? Well, Romans 9 through 11 is Paul's refutation of certain assumptions that he assumes the Gentiles in Rome um, were thinking. For example, it would be easy for Roman Gentile Christians to assume that God has now favored the Romans. He may have a long time ago favored the Jews with King David and King Solomon, but they've had their day. They're just a Roman province now. So God has replaced his first chosen people, the Jews, with Gentiles. Not so fast, says Paul. Not so fast. It's not true. God has not forsaken his first chosen people the Jews. If God reneged on his promises to them, why should you Johnny-come-lately Gentile Christians think he will be loyal, faithful, or true to you? So for Paul, the integrity of God is at issue, and he's got to deal with both the anti-Semitism and the, the sort of uh, snobbery of being a Roman, triumphant Roman who owns the empire. He's got to overcome all that and retell the story of Israel and how things are actually going in Romans 9 through 11. Now one of the features of this passage while he's doing that is he talks a lot about foreknowledge and election. So we need to talk about these two subjects just for a minute. Um, technically speaking, God knows everything. He knows all realities, he knows all possibilities, he knows all probabilities. And from a time-bound creature's point of view, he knows a lot of this in advance. Hence the word foreknowledge. God knows before, right? Now this is not a problem. Both um, Calvinists and Wesleyans believe that God knows all things, and he knows them in advance compared to our point of reference in a temporal world, okay? So, fair enough. The question is, what is the relationship between what God knows and what happens? Is it true that just because God has a certain knowledge of all things in advance, that they are necessarily destined to happen? And if so, who, who else could have been the destiner than the all-powerful God himself? I mean, this is kind of the logic of Calvinism in dealing with Romans 9 through 11. Well, here's the problem. In Romans 9 through 11, uh, God foreknew this group called Israel, the elect, God's chosen people, and yet some of them were not saved. So, point number one about Romans 9 through 11, foreknowledge is one thing, election is corporate, it's of a group, and salvation is yet another thing. You can be part of an elect group and in the end not be saved. You can be a part of the elect group of Israel, 
in the Old Testament and not be saved. I mean, look at the story of the wilderness wandering generation. They were all lost except the two that got into the promised land, pretty much. So here's the problem. When you start thinking of election and then election results, naturally you start thinking about salvation. But election has to do with God calling a specific people for specific tasks on earth. Heck, in the Old Testament, the one who's called my anointed one, my elect one, is in fact Cyrus, the pagan Persian, who sets God's people free so that they can leave exile and go back to Jerusalem. Was he a saved person? No, he was not. So you have to be able to distinguish foreknowledge, election, and salvation. These are three different things, and you shouldn't mush them all together. That's point number one. So Romans 9 through 11 says God foreknew both those Jews who would be saved and those who would be lost. So his foreknowledge does not predetermine who is saved. Important point. God knows about our sin. Did God predestine our sin? No, says the Bible over and over again. God is not the author of sin. So what's this deal about election? Paul always deals with it as a corporate thing. And he uses the analogy of, analogy of the olive tree. He says there are these native olive branches, Jews, who have been temporarily broken off from the tree of the people of God. And you Gentiles, wild olive branches, have been grafted in. Now he's saying that there is a continuity of the people of God. God has never had more than one people of God. It is not true in the past, and it's not true today, according to Paul. In Paul's view, God's people are Jew and Gentile united in Christ, and this is the natural development of God's Old Testament people, Israel. When he wants to talk about a righteous remnant of Jews, who does he mean? He means Jewish Christians like himself. They are the branches that have not been broken off from the people of God and still adhere to the people of God while Gentiles are being grafted in as wild olive branches. And so Paul wags his finger at the Gentiles and says, I'm talking to you. If God can temporarily break off these Jewish branches in order to graft in you Gentile branches, if you misbehave, he says, God can break you off too. Now notice the emphasis on behavior. What is it that makes the lost lost? It's not God's preordained plan. It's the behavior of God's people. You're not eternally secure till you're securely in eternity. Short of that, your behavior matters to whether or not you make it amongst the elect or the saved at the end of the day. Behavior matters. This is what Romans 9 through 11 argues. But that's not the end of the story. The exciting end of the story comes in Romans 11, 25 and following, where Paul says, God's not finished with Israel yet, and you better not write them off. He has a plan for them. He says, when the full number of the Gentiles have been added to the people of God, then, he says, in like manner, all Israel will be saved. Now, throughout Romans 9 through 11, Israel does not refer to the church. It refers to non-Christian Jews. That's true in Romans 9 and Romans 10. Romans 11. So he's talking about a future for Jews in Christ. And then he explains how that's going to happen. He says, when the Redeemer comes forth out of heavenly Zion, he will turn away the impiety of Jacob, that is, Israel. When's that going to happen? 
when Jesus returns. So, big picture for Paul in Romans 9 through 11. How is salvation going to work? It will be by grace through faith for everybody. God has broken off the disbelieving Jews so that they might be rejoined to the people of God by grace through faith in Jesus so that the whole people of God focus on the Messiah of God, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus himself. It's a plan for Gentiles. It's a plan for Jews. And at the same time, this argument it deflates the hubris, the honored position of Roman Gentile Christians who think we are the replacements for the Jewish Christians.